Hello, and thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast, now available on almost any platform where podcasts can be found. What you'll most often find here is our Sunday service sermon audio, but we'll also post bits and pieces of special services, events, and other things as they pertain to the life of the church. If you'd like to know more about what's happening here at Redeemer, you can visit us online at www.redeemermn.org or join us live Sunday at 10.30 a.m. on YouTube or Facebook. Just search for Redeemer MN or Redeemer Lutheran Church and locate the blue droplet icon. We're overjoyed at this opportunity to minister to you and to walk beside you as you begin to experience what it means to be the church. Let's dive in. Good morning, church. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be with you today, and it's wonderful to be with you online today as well. Great that we're together. Uh, I've already been asked the question, so I'll just say it straight up. Um, Yes, I am a first-time grandpa. Yes. On Tuesday, my daughter gave birth to a not-so-little eight-pound, seven-ounce baby boy. His name is Riggins, R-I-G-G-I-N-S. I spelled it because in the first service they all said, what did you say? His name is Riggins, and yes, he's adorable. The only concern I have is that we share the same hairline. That's my only concern. <laughs> Today we're finishing up our series called Follow Me. Looking at how the Apostle Paul got to the place in his life where he could say, follow me, follow my example as I follow Christ. As I mentioned last week, I was so fortunate on my sabbatical to to journey around the Mediterranean Sea, following in the footsteps of Paul's three missionary journeys. And then the series came out of that. And so week one, we looked at Paul's first missionary journey, including his trip to Antioch. And then last week, we looked at journey number two, which included going to the church in Corinth. And I explained pretty clearly that just a few short years after Paul had planted this new church in Corinth, they were having lots of problems. See, Corinth was this port city that was a mixture of Greek and Roman and Oriental cultures and a mixture of religious beliefs as well. And the foundational religious beliefs of the Christian faith were very different, opposed to the religions they practiced. Corinth, as I said, was the home of the temple Aphrodite. They got us a sensual love and pleasure. They had a thousand temple prostitutes that served there. So Corinth was known for its excessive moral decay. So it's not a surprise that this new church was having, this new community was experiencing lots of strife and division. They were divided over what leaders they should follow. There were moral issues like prostitution and divorce. There was chaos in worship over spiritual gifts and how to even partake in the Lord's Supper that we'll do later today. And so last week I focused on, as Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, to try to correct all these divisions, he has this strong appeal for unity. And Paul said that the basis of their unity was the name of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. See, regardless of all their differences, we all fall short of God's standards and we all need his forgiveness and grace and so the ground is level at the foot of the cross. If you missed either of those messages, catch them online. Today we're going to look at Paul's third missionary journey, which included a, a few years he stayed in the city of Ephesus. Now, from an archaeological viewpoint, Ephesus is, is extraordinary. It was my personal favorite. And I know I said last week I wasn't going to turn this into, you know, odd Uncle Ned showing videos of his African safari, but I can't help myself. <laughs> I found Ephesus so cool, I'm going to just share a couple of pictures with you that were captured on, on simply an iPhone. 
In Acts 19.1, it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior and came to Ephesus. For Paul, in order for Paul to travel through the interior, he would have walked what we call the Roman road. And on our trip, we were able to locate a portion of that very road. It still exists today. We traveled up in the hills, and behind us, or behind the small village, we, we found this. This little archway, and then this road that literally Paul walked on. And we walked on it. It was like we went back in time. Not only that, we sat down and did a little devotion up there. And as we're sitting there, what comes over the hill? A shepherd and his, and his herd of goats. I'm like, wow, I really am. I mean, other than his jeans and tennis shoes, I'm like, where am I? But one of the key things we learned was this. God introduced Jesus at just the perfect time. Because the Romans, under Roman rule, they had kind of conquered the known world at that time. And so under their rule, it was easy to travel because they, they built roads like that. And then B, there was peace in the land. You could go from country to country and not be, you know, yeah, there was peace. You know what I'm trying to say. They call it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Now, don't get me wrong. There's lots of evil things about the Roman Empire, but it was a perfect time for God to introduce Jesus and share the gospel around the world. We then traveled to Ephesus. Rome, the Romans captured Ephesus in 69 BC and ruled it for over 200 years. And under Roman rule, Ephesus prospered. It became the capital of the province of Asia and was the leading city in that entire region. Estimates in its first century population were over a quarter of a million. So Ephesus was also famous for its Greek temple, the impressive temple of the goddess Artemis, or Diana of Ephesus. The temple was this massive structure. The roof was held up by literally pillars that were 60 feet tall, marble pillars. The temple of Artemis was considered one of the seven ancient wonders, or seven wonders of the ancient world. But besides the worship of the goddess of Artemis, there were other various religions and cults, including the practice of magic, worship of Egyptian gods like Isis, devotion to a number of different deities. And it was in this melting pot, this hodgepodge of spiritual beliefs that Paul plants this church in Ephesus. And they began to have a pretty remarkable impact. When you read Acts 19, which I hope you'll do this week as you follow the notes, Luke tells a story of how this new little Jesus community was impacting the culture. With people in Ephesus putting their faith in Jesus, a silversmith in Acts 19 named Demetrius tries to start a riot. You see, Demetrius earned much of his income from making silver shrines to the goddess of Artemis. And when he saw the demand for his shrines shrinking because of this new religion called the Way, he tried to create a scene. And Luke records it in Acts 19. And he said that Artem, or, uh, Demetrius accused Paul and wanted Paul and his followers arrested because they were saying that Artemis isn't a goddess, that she shouldn't be worshipped, and that they were trying to strip her of her divine majesty. And Demetrius got the whole city in an uproar, and soon the whole mob was shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! What was kind of wild to see was in Ephesus, or just outside, we went to the temple of Artemis, or what's left of it, and there's very little of it left. Just like there's very little worship to the goddess of Artemis, but the elements of the Christian faith live on. 
And so here are a couple of more pics I just kind of wanted to show you. This is the 24,000 seat amphitheater in Ephesus. And it looks over the main shopping area on the picture on your right, uh, called the Agora. And uh, it was the way that you would walk down to the port. Here's another picture of the library in Ephesus, which is pretty incredible. And then here is a picture uh, of the excavated homes of the people. It was pretty phenomenal when you looked at these homes. This was all under a roof because they were still excavating. But it was interesting to learn that the, 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 it was built into the hillside, and the wealthier, wealthier you were, the higher you lived up. Because in that ancient culture, when they didn't have indoor plumbing, I hate to say it, but poop really did run downhill. <laughs> so the higher you up, up you were, the better. Okay, that's it for promise or picks, I promise. All right? When we first began this series looking at Paul, he had come to faith after this dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Paul immediately, zealously, begins to share the good news with others. But I share with you at the beginning that Paul was still Paul. He was an arrogant, hard-charging, in-your-face, I'm going to prove you wrong, kind of a jerk. But by now, Paul's third missionary journey, we see that Paul had learned that Jesus-shaped discipleship is not just the transfer of information, but the sharing of life together. It was in these little Jesus communities, marked by love and accountability and prayer, that he learned not only the truth of Jesus, but also the way of Jesus. And that's why being part of a church family is so important. That's why I encourage you, we encourage you to come on Sundays, and we encourage you to come online. <clears throat> and we encourage you to get in things like growth groups because they're so important. Being part of a growth group is, is important because in a growth group, the goal is to grow and become more like Jesus. In a growth group, you grow. Didn't we name those well? I mean, brilliant. <laughs> but if you're not in one, contact Pastor Jason. Get in one. When we read about Paul in Ephesus in Acts 18, 19, and 20, we see that he did teach in the Hall of Tyrannus, this big, massive gathering of people. But we also see that Paul went from house to house. Oikos to oikos, they called it. Showing people the way of Jesus by, by living with them, discipling with them, being with them in these small groups, training them so that they in turn could train others. We see this as a great example in Epaphras from Colossae. We read about it in Colossians and Philemon. So Epaphras from Colossae travels to Ephesus, spends time and is discipled by Paul, then goes back to his own region and establishes more spiritual Jesus communities on mission in Colossae and Heropolis and Laodicea. Paul had become so transformed into the way of Jesus that he got to 1 Corinthians 11 and said these very challenging words. Follow me. Follow my example as I have followed the example of Christ. Now, as most of you know, in seven days, I'm going to get married again. Boop, boop. Now, I'm very excited, but I also realize that in the last eight years of being single, I've become very accustomed to my independence. And it can be difficult to give up your independence for somebody else's sake. I mean, when we're first born, like my grandson Riggins was, we're dependent, we rely upon our parents for everything for all our needs. And then as we grow, little by little, we become more independent. First we feed ourselves, and then we learn to walk, and then we get to go to a friend's house to play, and then we turn this magical age of 16, and we get to get behind the wheel and go where we want. 
And then we go off to college like my son did, and there's this greater level of independence. And in a week, I'm going to trade in all that independence for marriage. No, I'm not reconsidering my commitment. But in a week, I won't just go do whatever I want when I want. I won't just spend resources however I want. In all these things, I will now consult somebody else. Why, you ask? Honestly, because of love. On the count of three, everybody say, aw. One, two, three. Aw. Aw. I know that to cultivate love and to build a relationship, the best possible relationship, it only happens when you put the other person's needs first. When your goal is to see them happy, to see them fulfilled, to see them become everything God has for them. And while it's still hard to give up independence like that, I do it because of love. I think it's even harder to give up spiritual independence in our relationship and our love with Jesus. Jesus himself said, if you want to truly live, if you want to truly have life, what do you do? Lay down your life. Give up your life. Sounds hard. And it is. We don't do it on our own. Spiritual selflessness flows from a heart transformed from the inside out. A heart that's been transformed by Jesus' love for us. And so to wrap up this series, I want to do a little deep dive into that 1 Corinthians 11.1 verse and a few verses before it just to put it in context. So I'll read this to you. You can read along with me. It's on the screen. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11.1. So whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or those in the church, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In those few short verses, Paul gives us some keen insights on how to live spiritually selfless lives, how to truly live, how to follow him as he followed Christ. Paul starts out and he says, whether we eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul here is giving a summary of what he just said in chapters 8 and 9 and 10 before it. Because in those chapters, Paul talks about the incredible freedom we have in Christ. But then he says, if your freedom causes others to sin or stumble in their walk with God, don't do it. In 1 Corinthians 10, 19, he says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Look at the maturity of Paul here. I mean, that's his life mission right there. Even though he's free in Christ, he's willing to give that all up to become a slave to others (coughs) so that they might come to know Christ. In verse 31, Paul says, Whatever you do, do it for God's glory. Paul is simply reminding them of what Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. In chapter 22, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus responded by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the great and first commandment. You would think that would be it. Puts it all into place. Everything's been said. It would cover everything, right? But he doesn't stop there. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, the Bible is essentially a summary, a commentary of those two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbors yourself. And that means the opposite is true as well. You can't love and glorify God. You can't glorify and love God if you're not loving and seeking the good of your neighbor. That's why Paul says in the next verse, verse 32, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. He addresses the three segments of his audience. In earlier in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 22, he says this, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, the Greeks, he says, I became like one not having the law, as to win those not having the law. And then about the church, or those that are struggling in the church, he said, to the weak, I become weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. To the Jews, Paul simply says, you don't have to insist on eating ceremonially clean foods. No, if you're with your Jewish friends, you don't insist upon eating unceremonial clean foods if it's going to cause them to reject Christ. To the Greeks, he says, don't ask them to do a bunch of Jewish ceremonial laws that they need to conform to. I mean, those laws serve their purpose, but now they don't matter when it comes to following Christ. And then to the, those in the church, Paul says, don't offend them unnecessarily. Don't look down upon them because they have a different view than you do. Your goal is to build them up. And then Paul explains why this is so important. He says, I tried to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. Seeking the glory of God is Paul's ultimate goal. It's ours as well. But we accomplish that when we help others find faith in him. We are to seek the ultimate good for others that they may be saved. Then Paul makes that bold statement, follow me or follow my example as I follow Christ which sounds a bit jarring at first, a little arrogant, a little prideful. I mean, how can one sinner tell another sinner, hey, follow me, imitate me? I think Paul does this for a couple reasons. First off, he's been speaking to the Corinthians. He's kind of the one who planted that church. And I think he wants to tell them very clearly, the stuff I'm teaching you is not just theory. It's not just good ideas. It's not just great concepts. I'm practicing what I'm preaching. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you can look at my life, see what I'm doing, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Secondly there, when you look at it, Paul says, basically, I am an example of one who is imitating Christ. So do that too. He's pointing beyond himself. He's saying he's not the ultimate example, and he knows it. Paul has learned that you don't become like Christ in a vacuum. We need each other. We need to spur one another up. 
We need to hold each other accountable. We need to pray and support each other. The original Greek in that verses reads more accurately, let's work together to imitate Christ. I want to learn from you. You need to learn from me. In humility, let's work together so that we can become more like him. I mean, Paul addresses that same theme in his other letters to the other New Testament churches. In Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We imitate Christ when we walk in the love Christ has for us when we offer our lives as a sacrifice for those around us. I mean, that's what it means, Paul says, to be an imitator. Paul says the same thing to the church in Philippi when he writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then goes on to explain that his mindset is, is well, we look at Jesus' life, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant for the glory of God and for the good of all people. And Paul's saying, make that your mindset too. Empty yourself, serve others so that we too might come to know Jesus. I understand that doctrinally, theologically, this is pretty simple stuff. It's not hard to understand. The hard part and the challenge for me and you today is do we live it? Do we simply put it into practice? And so I wanna kinda just wrap up with a, a few ways we can apply what Paul is saying here. The first one is this, fix your eyes on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes. When Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, he's not saying that, you know, Jesus was just a really good example and that we could just kind of take a few tips from him. If we could just kind of, you know, learn a couple of those pointers, our lives would be better and we'd start living more like him. Now, the Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus as he's revealed in Scripture. Because, to be honest, the more clearly we see him, the more we recognize how far short we fall from him. We see that we can be sinful when he's righteous. We're selfish when he's self-sacrificing. We're unholy when he's holy. We're defiled and polluted when he is pure. We're rebellious when he's obedient. We can be arrogant when he's humble. The first part of fixing our eyes on Jesus is recognizing our great need of him. That's what we did last Wednesday at our Ash Wednesday service. We realized we can't imitate him in our own strength. So we confess our sins. We seek his forgiveness. We need him to cleanse us by his own blood. We need him to make us new from the inside out. We need him to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we too can imitate him. We fix our eyes on him. Robert Murray McShane was a 19th century Scottish preacher and he wrote it this way. He said, for every look you take of yourself, take 10 looks to Christ. The act of gazing upon him as we find in scripture is what transforms us. Just this last Friday, I was able to pick up my son from college and run him over to my daughter's house so he could meet his nephew. Pretty hilarious. So he held him like he was going to break him. It was, it was funny. 
But Micah walked in, and the first thing he noticed was his, my daughter used to have this big mirror that kind of leaned up against the wall, and she had moved it because of some baby stuff. And Micah walks in and goes, where's the mirror? <laughs> and my son-in-law goes, why, Micah, so you can't look at yourself more? <laughs> but the act of gazing upon Jesus, Scripture tells us, is what transforms us. Fix your eyes upon, contemplate, get your mind around, study his goodness and his glory and his grace. Receive his forgiveness and his grace and walk in that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, seek the glory of God in whatever you do. Paul is saying when he says whatever you do, it's not just, hey, here's a list of commandments that you need to follow, like almost like the religious elites of Jesus' time. Jesus takes and makes that outward sign of obeying the commandments and turns it internal. It's not just following commands. It should influence the way we think, the way we act, the choices we make, what we do for fun, the TV shows and movies that we watch, what I read, what I eat, what I drink. Now, don't get me wrong. In all these ways, we have freedom in Christ. But our criterion for doing these things is not whether or not I just find pleasure in them or they, they bring me satisfaction. My criteria is, is, does this bring glory to God? Should it influence how we steward our resources? How do we use our time, our talents, our abilities, our energies? How do we invest our treasures? Which leads us to the last point, which is seek the good of our neighbor in whatever you do. I think the great question to ask is, is, am I willing to give up some of my freedoms if it's going to help somebody else? Would I be willing to be like Paul and say, hey, imitate my life as I follow Christ? Not in an arrogant, not in a self-serving way, but basically saying, hey, is it okay if we come along inside each other and together we in humility learn to help each other follow Christ? I can learn from you, you can learn from me. As I said, the challenge is now live it. Again, not a burden, an opportunity. God will fill you with his Holy Spirit. If you Tune into him. Jesus will lead you into the right circumstances, the right opportunities. I got a lot going on in the next week. And I'm heading out of town. And yesterday, a friend of mine called, and he was just struggling. And he needed some time. And so, did I want to? Not necessarily. But I gave some time, a few hours, to just help him out. And I sat there and left and went, God, at first I was a little bit frustrated. And I was like, I got the opportunity to serve in your name. That's a good thing. And while I served, I was able to share about not only what God's doing in my life, but about Jesus himself. And I think, wow, God, you're good. That's the adventure he calls us all to. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Help us, empower us. Help us to continually come to you and confess where we fall short, to not take your grace lightly, but then, Lord, help us to receive that forgiveness and walk 
in the power and the new life that you freely give. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may be conformed to the image of the Christ from the image of Christ from the inside out. We pray that in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much once again for listening to our podcast. If you experienced something special today or connected in a special way with something that you heard, don't keep it a secret. You can reach out and share directly with one of our staff at redeemermn.org leadership, or you can share this episode of the podcast across your own social media. We look forward to the opportunity to connect with you. Until next time, God bless you and have a wonderful day.